Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello to everyone and thanks for tuning in on this glorious Thursday uh, here in Johannesburg. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrod Simbele and I'm pleased to be in your company as we continue to engage on difficult conversation, which I believe adds value in terms of embedding a deeper understanding of social and economic landscape. As you, as, as you might aware or you might know, we endeavor to bring a different views and perspectives so that you are able to reflect or, or appreciate other dimensions which shape the country's governance narrative as it were. Last week we had a fascinating conversation with Michael Juden from, uh, from Combrick. Michael is one of the country's celebrated lawyers. We reflected on the status of corporate governance in the country. As expected, Michael shared critical insights uh, on issues such as societal cultures and how the unbecoming behaviors find themselves in both public and private sector organizations. If you missed that particular show, not to worry. Simply visit our website and download that particular podcast and share your views with us or your colleagues for that matter. You're welcome to uh, your views. Our SMS line is 34519. Before we kickstart our show, let me allow, allow me to salute the preachers of the show. On that note, thank you to Rube and Vusima Singer for your dedication and hard work. I want to thank you in advance as you are able to attend to those gremlins before they raid the ugly heads, uh, so to speak. In today's conversation, the big question is, what is the role of local government in economic development? And what can we learn from other African countries on how they use this field of government to render services? And most importantly, to act or to use this field of governance as a catalyst for growth and development. As we all know, the country is heading for local government polls. On November the 1st, all political parties are wooing electorates via their various manifestos, promising all sorts of things. The truth of the matter is that the majority of local government in South Africa are in shambles. The Auditor General report findings are overwhelming on leadership and management challenges facing municipalities which according to Electoral Commission, we have about 325 political parties that seek to address these challenges in almost 278 municipalities in the forthcoming local government elections. Judging by this number, it is evident that South Africans are almost tired uh, with the kind of shenanigans that we have seen uh, so far. In making sense of these very complex issues, I'm joined by Charles Anyomi from Ghana, who is the president of Africa Entrepreneurship Conference. We are also joined by Francois Fisher, who is a director at Growth Diagnostics at the University of Northwest Business School. Interestingly, both of uh, these fascinating colleagues here are panelists at or specialists at African Continental Free Trade Area, which commenced earlier this year. Let me not waste time to take this opportunity to bring upstream. Once again, you're welcome to the show. Thank you, Nimrod. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Nimrod. Francois, I mean, I saw an article, I think the 21st of the 20th of September, which appeared in Daily Maverick. The article suggests that there's about 13 million South Africans who can vote but have not registered in the forthcoming polls. For me, this immediately raised the question, how important are local government elections, considering the fact that so many people have not registered to vote? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Nimrod. The fact that so many people are, in essence, voting with their feet 
and staying away from the polls. And, and, and remember, that number has actually increased, or the proportion has increased over the last uh, a few election cycles, is a very clear indication uh, that people have become, you know, almost uh, hopeless, that they think the situation has become so dire that uh, whether they go to the polls or not wouldn't really make a difference. And that's really, really sad, to be honest with you. I think it sends a message to the leaders of the country that, uh, you know, we need to look at a change and we need to seriously look at change. Problems with implementation uh, in government in South Africa range from the top to the bottom. Uh, a local government is in a, an abysmal state. Uh, the Auditor General told Parliament in June this year that 27% of municipalities face significant doubts about their ability to continue as a going concern. And another alarming fact is that only 2% of revenue is spent on maintenance uh, with 46% going to salaries um, and council remuneration. That certainly, you know, paints the, the picture and, and people are not happy with about that. And then they're staying away because they think it's a, it's a little bit too dire. I couldn't agree with you more on that very interesting picture that you have um, highlighted. Perhaps maybe before we get to the next question, which I want Charles to reflect on, this is 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrod Tumbele. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're having this interesting conversation with my two of my colleagues here. I'm joined online by Charles Onyomi from Ghana. Uh, he's, Charles is the president of African Entrepreneurship Conference. He's also joined by Francois Fischer, who is the director at Growth Diagnostic at the University of Northwest Business School. We are really trying to get a sense from the panelists here in terms of the value of the local government as a catalyst for economic development. Let me just bring in Charles here, based on your perspective, you've heard from Francois the dim picture that he has projected. What is the Ghanaian experience in terms of people having interest in local government politics? What can you share with us from that perspective? Thank you, Nimrod. In Ghana, the interest of people in local governance is a bit high because uh, most Ghanaians believe that that is the area in which they can go and amass wealth easily. They believe that the only way to make it quickly in life is politics. So you see young people finishing school or they are thinking of going to local governance, going into politics to amass wealth for themselves. And I believe this has as a result of how our the older generation have amassed wealth from politics. This fiber of younger generation believing that going into politics will make quicker money has made so many people, so many young people have a lot of interest in politics. Interesting observation, which is not so different from here in South Africa, but um, I mean, it's also very fascinating just to see how the thought process around politics is. I mean, Francois painted a very interesting perspective uh, where he noted that people here in the main are voting with their feet. And, and it's a very interesting contrast with Ghana, where you reckon that level of participation is high purely because they see politics as a means to an end in that because of the previous generation, people were obviously used politics to amass wealth. So it, that's a very interesting uh, perspective that you're sharing with us. As we proceed, can I just perhaps maybe get Francois back online again in terms of his views on what he considers as a mischief in local government? 
as it relates to administrators? And how deep is this mischief? You, you've mentioned something interesting. Um, the analogy with or the parallels to Ghana is um, is absolutely striking here. I'm going to talk about the mischief just now, but the interesting thing is why are young people thinking that they have to go into politics to really make a living or, or make a killing? Well, it's because business is too hard. Uh, and I, I have some thoughts that I would like to share with you this evening, you know, perhaps a little bit later about as opposed to why business is so and what we can do from a governance point of view in order to make it easier to actually conduct business. But just to get back to your question, you know, I think uh, far too many municipalities are failing to provide, in South Africa at least, basic services to residents. Yet with, you know, we look at municipal elections that are looming and around the corner, we're hearing many grandiose promises from politicians uh, across the political spectrum. But we need to, in South Africa, really need to focus on getting the basics right, especially at local government level. We need to ensure that every household has water and electricity. You know, that financial management at every municipality is up to standard and that potholes, in fact, you know, at the lowest level are simply getting repaired. Every municipality should deliver the services it is supposed to deliver with its spending priorities at the same time aligned towards those goals. Now, efficiently functioning municipalities are absolutely vital to local and regional economies. And not only in South Africa, each and every country on the continent and beyond. And the last point here is if we look at what has happened in the Northwest uh, over the last few months, I mean, it is, it is really tragic. We can't have more situations such as the food and dairy producer Clover, a listed company, uh, closing its cheese factory in Lichtenberg in the Northwest province of South Africa because of poor service delivery with water and power outages repeatedly disrupting operations and then moving those operations down to Etiquini, if I'm not mistaken. Those types of developments rather are sad and we should do whatever we can from a delivery point of view in order to fight those, to in order to reverse those because not only are people voting with their feet in terms of the, uh, the voting polls but business will soon start to do that and has already started to do that. We, we can be, you know, sort of, it's a terrible thing to say but it's, it's great that Clover is at least staying within the country but they are forsaking one municipality for another. There has been many businesses which have not invested in South Africa as a country as a whole because of an inability, you know, to get uncertainty about certain policy decisions, for instance. Thanks for that insight, Francois. I mean, it's quite sad to hear in the midst um, high unemployment rate, especially in provinces such as Northwest, you have a very promising, well-respected brand such as Clover closing its doors purely because you reckon that, you know, uh, the services has been quite poor. Um, electricity, which is pretty much a national uh, mess. I suppose the road infrastructure could potentially be an issue because I've been to some parts of Northwest. The potholes are just simply unbearable and which that on its own give an indication of how poorly managed the municipalities are. But let me, let me just go back to the point that you raised earlier. You said in juxtaposition, why do you reckon that business is too hard? Hence, majority of people rather enter public service or public space to amass wealth. Well, for the simple reason is uh, if it had been easier to open up a business or to go and work for a business than to simply go into politics in order to manipulate business, then more people would have gone into business. But we are seeing young people that have to make a decision, a very important decision in their lifetime, as opposed to in which direction 
direction they are going to go. Are they going into the public sector or are they going into the private sector? And they're choosing public sector for the wrong reasons because in their minds they're associated with it should be easier to make a living there. It's very, very different if you look at, for instance, uh, what happens in countries like South Korea or some of the Asian tigers. In South Korea, if you want to admit it to go and work for government, you need to pass some of the most difficult exams in the country. In South Africa, the exact opposite is almost true. So what is the byproduct of that? The byproduct is is that if we were to make it easier to conduct business, more people would be drawn into business because it's easier to make a living there. And here I want to take you back to, we have a new finance minister in South Africa, well, for the last 12 months or so. Last week he made a speech and he hit all the right notes in that speech. Why? Because it relates to making it easier to do business in South Africa. Uh, He cut through the noise that so often, you know, deflects attention from the real issues. And he presented a blueprint of five priorities uh, where the underlying goal was stated as we have to make it easier for business to be conducted in South Africa. And that includes making it easier at the local government level as well. And I quickly want to you know, share those five points with you that he shared. He said, let's not talk about ESCOM, the national utility which is in shambles. Let's rather talk about security of electricity supply and what we can do from a policy perspective to ensure that if people are not buying the electricity from ESCOM, can at least you know, generate their own. And we've seen that the the ceiling on self-generation was lifted up to a maximum of, of 100 megawatts. That was a significant step. But again, President Ramaphosa had to sort of take the lead there and, and in order to push that reform uh, through. It's a, it's a vital reform to make it easier for business to be conducted because if you cannot get electricity, reliable, cheap electricity from ESCOM, you should be in a position to generate your own. The second priority that the new finance minister mentioned is broadband spectrum, making it an absolute priority to resolve the issue there as a matter of urgency so we can get diffusion of access to broadband. We get more people in South Africa, easier access and cheaper access to the internet because the internet itself is a wealth of opportunities. The third priority you spoke about is the green revolution in the economy. It's a mistake to think that we put all our eggs in one basket only in ESCOM. We should talk about the green economy as a nation and across all sectors. Now, we don't have time to expand on that this evening, so I'm just going to skip to the next one. But the, the, the fourth one is well, was addressing the country's logistical issues. Uh, our port for instance, are not internationally competitive. We are a, a country that trades a lot. We export a lot. We import a lot. Yet, we have to contend with ports which are expensive and which take an enormous amount of time in order to get our goods in and in order to allow our imports in. And the last one was, overall, to make it easier to conduct business. We must find a way between government and business to work together and not for the public sector to see the public sector with a hostile environment. And in order to also uh, you know, construct public infrastructure, we which we so desperately need to remember it. Thank you very much, uh, Francois, on that uh, very interesting perspective that you share with us. And I'm sure Charles is getting ready to air his views uh, from a juxtaposition point of view. On that note, we're going to just uh, come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back to Beyond Governance. This is Nimrod Timberi. I'm joined by esteemed colleagues here um, sharing their very interesting perspective on a very complex issue. We are joined by Charles Anyoyi from Ghana, who is the president of Africa Entrepreneurship Conference, as well as Francois Fischer, who is the director at Growth Diagnostic at the University of Northwest Business School. 
France made a very interesting proposition, obviously drawing from the, the Minister of Finance speech in terms of one of the biggest crop mire which are facing, you know, South Africa. Those uh, critical pillars which he mentioned, one obviously is the security of reliable electricity, the broadband spectrum, which has been an issue for years, green economy, logistics, collaboration between private and business sector. From Ghana point of view, what would you say South Africa needs to learn from the administrative in terms of the ease of, of doing business? How easy it is to do business in Ghana? And what is that you think South Africa can learn? I believe that, yes, um, Ghana instead has a lot to learn from South Africa in terms of uh, doing business. Why did I say that? Because currently in Ghana, it takes uh, uh, not less than two weeks for a, for a business to be registered in Ghana, and that definitely is not good for business. And the cost of uh, business registration in Ghana is, is still very high, which is definitely not good for business. And then also, if you look at the requirement involved, you still in South Africa, you still do a lot of business registration online. Individual registration business online is, is still available in Ghana. You still see most businesses prefer to go to the register general to do their business registration. So yes, um, Ghana instead has a lot to learn from South Africa in terms of easy in doing business. We may say fine, our economy is doing well in West Africa. We are ahead in terms of uh, our economy. We have a very high uh, GDP growth. We have a very high foreign direct investment. We have a lot of South African businesses in Ghana. The last time I count, you have over 200 South African business, businesses in, in Ghana operation. Yes, but uh, we still have a lot to learn from South Africa uh, because if you look at South Africa, uh, South Africa has one of the best. Uh, the other day I was trying to do a research and I was trying to find out the top uh, 100 companies in, in Africa. And and emerged out of my search, um, I did not find a Ghanaian origin business out of the top 100 uh, businesses in Africa. So I had to extend my search to the top 500 businesses in, in Africa. And the remote disaggregate I found, out of the 500 top businesses in Africa, about 170 businesses alone are from South Africa. And my door neighbor, which is Nigeria, has about uh, 70 businesses. And Ghana has about just 50, 11 businesses which are top among the top 500 uh, companies in Africa, which means that Yes, there may be easy way of doing business, but South Africa is far ahead of doing business and is able to expand into our our, our Ghanaian market. But how many Ghanaian businesses are able to expand into South African market and doing well in South African market? So we may say that yes, um, South Africa has a lead and Ghana has a lot to learn from South Africa, more than South Africa has to learn from Ghana. That's my initial comment about it. But truth of the matter is that um, in any developing situation, there are always ways in which both countries can learn from each other. It is interesting, uh, based on your own research, in terms of the quantums of South Africans that are doing business in Ghana vis-a-vis Ghanaians businesses that could be classified as achievers, so to speak. That's a very uh, interesting observation. But the issue that is of essence in the South African context is the issue of security of renewable electricity. How is that an issue or a challenge in Ghana? I think uh, I have been in South Africa for the past uh, three weeks, almost getting to four weeks. I mean, been in South Africa. I have not experienced even uh, one day or one hour blackout. That means that electricity provision in South Africa is efficient and very fluent. Ghana in West Africa, 
we are ahead in terms of electricity provision, but sometimes you see electricity going off for a little bit over five hours, sometimes in a day before coming back. And I have not seen such happening in South Africa here. So I may say yes, uh, in terms of electricity provision, South Africa is still ahead of us in Ghana, and we, we are still behind in terms of electricity, uh, how do you call it, for businesses to use. But, but it, it's not that grooming in Ghana. It's not that grooming in Ghana. We are still better off our neighbor, our, our neighbor country, which is Nigeria, who has a major electricity problem, and then affecting businesses in Ghana. So basically, that is it. And that is our electricity situation in Ghana. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's quite interesting to hear that. Um, just coming back to the issues that were raised by Francois, particularly in relation to the blueprint that was ushered by the Minister of, of Finance. Francois, South Africans would argue that there's nothing new. You know, the security of reliable energy has been an issue. The broadband spectrum has been an issue for more than 10 years. And the collaboration between business and private sector, well, perhaps maybe we could argue that there has been, we have made some strides, but looking at the issue of the broadband, uh, the release of the broadband, uh, which is so critical, what is new about that? I mean, all these issues that were said, based from your observation, it is one thing just to inform or tell what the listeners or South Africans hear is a completely different ballgame in terms of what is it that government will be doing differently to ensure that local government is able to leverage these kinds of policy entrepreneurship for betterment of locals. Uh, before I respond to that, perhaps I should say to Charles, uh, you haven't experienced the, the load shedding in South Africa as yet. He's only been here three weeks. If you, you need to stay another three weeks. <laughs> and, perhaps, <laughs> and perhaps you'll get, you, you know, you'll get a taste of the unpleasantness, uh, unpleasantness that is associated maybe, with it. Maybe, maybe it's, it's the location. Perhaps if Charles were to visit Soweto, <laughs> other parts of the country, every day there's always an issue. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, getting out of scent and it changes the ball game significantly. Yeah. No, Rod, you, you're absolutely spot on. Very little has changed, to be honest. And we, we now have a new minister of finance. Uh, we had Tito Mweni prior to him. And Tito was sort of a, he, he was good, but he was a reluctant minister because he didn't want to do it in the first instance and he sort of stayed, you know, uh, um, uh, well, almost uh, his full term. But nevertheless, uh, very little has changed in the political landscape of South Africa since the Cyril Maposa came to power under the new dawn in 2018. I think the support for the ruling party that is in decline is a testament to the fact that um, uh, people are losing interest in the conversation, to be part of the conversation, because the conversation doesn't change. If you look at South Africa and if you look at our levels of international competitiveness, as measured by the World Bank uh, Ease of Doing Business Index, it has been on an, on an ongoing decline since you know that index was started. Unfortunately, that whole World Bank study has been discontinued for reasons you know that I would like to discuss, but for which we don't have time. But if if you look at what is measured in the uh, ease of doing business index um, in that methodology of the World Bank, they measure the whole life cycle of a business from the stage of opening a business, from uh, getting finding a location, a physical location, to dealing with a construction permit, getting electricity, uh, registering a property in your name, accessing finance, i.e. getting credit, pro- uh, the protection of minority investors if you have investors in your business, your ability to pay taxes uh, with e-filing with SARS locally, it's a great ability to do that. It's easy to pay tax in South Africa. 
dealing with the day-to-day operations of running your business, if you engage in exports or imports, you know, trading across borders, not only actually exporting your goods out of the ports or via uh, uh, the airports, but also getting your goods in, your intermediate inputs via of imports that need to come in. And also contracting with the government. Uh, well, well, that's a new sort of phase that are going to come in future. And then the last phase is actually operating in a secure business environment. So where you have to enforce contracts or if everything then goes wrong with this new business that you've established, where you have to wind things up, you know, and resolve insolvency. If you look at all those stages, the full life cycle that I refer to as uh, of a business, and you look at the competitiveness of the South African economy compared to other uh, countries around the world, I think they've measured you know, 160 or 170 countries in the 2019 survey, you'll find that SA's worst performing pillar of global competitiveness is actually trading across borders. And that is despite the fact that we are a very open economy. About two-thirds of the South African GDP or economic activity as measured by GDP is actually made up of, of trade, of international trade, you know, exports and imports combined. I mean, just think of that. Just stand still and think about the two-thirds of our economic activity is, is, is driven by exports and imports. Now, despite that fact, that pillar of trading across borders, South Africa is ranked as the worst performer of all those stages within the life cycle of a business. Any company that happens to be able to actually establish itself as dealing with construction permits, that is dealing with obtaining access to electricity, never mind the reliability and the cost of ongoing electricity supply after that, that have dealt with the um, ability to register that property, that is, you know, perhaps have some loan finance in place, uh, perhaps have some shareholders in there that, that are in fact paying taxes, that are enforcing contracts with its with their counterparties and when things don't work out, that resolve insolvencies. Companies that, that, that operate in, in across all those life cycle stages that have to trade across face some of the worst conditions in the world in South Africa. And we don't think of ourselves as a country which are not competitive, but when you look at the actual data, it shows that we aren't competitive. That's why our exports and not our exports overall as a percentage of, of economic activity, but our exports is measured by on on a per capita basis, for instance, which is a calculation very few people actually bother to do, have been declining and have been seriously declining. Now, one may argue, you know, why is this important? And the reason this is important is because our ability to actually import, our ability to afford imports is a, is a function of our ability to actually export because by exporting, we are earning very valuable foreign exchange. And how do we pay for imports? Well, we need to pay out of that pool of available foreign exchange in order to afford our imports. So those are my thoughts around that, Nimrod. I welcome those kinds of interesting perspective, uh, Francois. But the reality is that local government, our municipalities, almost have a dual kind of um, texture, almost like a schizophrenic kind of environment. You've got some some municipalities that are affluent. You've got others that are poor. So to what extent, because we also need to come back to what is practical, what is doable in the context of the Sikisiki municipality, which is a rural municipality, for the, as an example, because that municipality, they do have their own competitive and competitive advantage. For example, a land that municipality has at disposal could become a useful instrument of leveraging resources so that they are able to, you know, uh, create op- employment opportunities or create business opportunities. So I just want us to go back and say, what is it that we need to do differently in the context of diverse nature of municipalities, because we can't compare city of Johannesburg with Lusiksiki local government, for an example. City of Johannesburg, Enakurulani, Nelson Mandela, and Devon are obviously metros with substantial, substantial revenue base 
which in my view has not been expedited to a point where people are able to leverage and, and really make a living out of. It's even worse when you're looking at poor municipalities. What could be said or done differently where you sit, from where you're sitting to try and cultivate that kind of entrepreneurship thought process in a township in the context of this interesting things that you've been saying to us? I think the, the important thing is that w- what uh, smaller, uh, poorer municipalities can focus on is just getting the basics right. Don't focus on anything else beyond basics. And basics, I mean water and electricity provision. Um, and now with the, with, with the rules that have changed, if, you, if the municipality cannot buy the electricity reliably from ESCOM, they now have the ability to go buy from private generators, uh, independent power producers, you know, up to 100 megawatt. The regulations have now changed and, and it is now uh, possible to actually do that. But the, these smaller municipalities in Nimrod shouldn't focus on trying to do anything uh, funky or complex or sexy or sophisticated. They should just focus on providing an environment that is, is so attractive for businesses that they attract more and more businesses. They, they shouldn't try to do anything beyond that because getting the basics right in, in themselves is not easy. It's a task that needs to be done on a daily basis and you can't slip up there. That's the one thing. And the other thing that I want to mention is that they, they need to engage in conversation with business, which is they, which are paying the rates and taxes. They need to be intimately in conversation with business to, to understand what the binding constraints are on industries that operate in their, um, in their jurisdiction, to speak to them on a regular basis, to, to have conversations with them, to be aware of what their needs are. Because the way the, the cycle works is that in order to have government, we need to have business because business adds value. In adding value, you can allow for profit. When you have profit, you have tax. When you have tax, that allows for government. A government cannot exist without business because there can be no tax. One of the issues that you raised, which is quite interesting, and also want to get Charles' perspective around getting the basic right. One of the critical elements of getting the basic right is the notion of meritocracy, getting the competent people, qualified people for those specific jobs. That's one. The other one is to depoliticize administration. Here in South Africa, based on what we've seen, there's almost like there's no boundaries. Administration is highly politicized. You get into a particular position purely because of your political lineage uh, or political affiliation. How do you get out of that one? And perhaps maybe Charles from Ghana, kind of basics in terms of appreciating meritocracy as a fundamental character that builds sustainable development and the extent to which politics or administration at the local government has not been politicized. Is this just a wishful thinking or something that, that could be achieved? Let me hear from Charles first. Before I get to your question, I, I would like to also to emphasize that, um, yes, in Ghana, we have uh, certain things working for us over South Africa because in Ghana, we have, a, we have a very cheap electricity. We do not pay that high electricity that you guys pay here in South Africa. We have a cheap water. Our waters, uh, the, the bills that we pay for water in Ghana is not that as high compared to South Africa. We have uh, very low taxes. Businesses in Ghana pay very low taxes as compared to uh, what businesses pay in South Africa. But the point is, what is the term, what is the, what the use of the cheap electricity if it does not translate into production or manufacturing? Because here in Ghana, we do not produce anything in Ghana. We do not manufacture anything in Ghana. Everything in Ghana is imported into Ghana. You see our businessmen and women going to China, going to Dubai to import items into Ghana. And when that is done, it affects our currency and it causes inflation to go high. So, yes, we may have those aspects uh, working for us. And also to add to that, 
You can also see that entrepreneurship in Ghana is very much alive. If you go to the streets of Ghana, if you want to see entrepreneurship in Africa, come to Ghana. And if you see the, the young guys and young women in the streets, selling in the streets, that is entrepreneurship. When you go to our market and you see our market women selling in the market, that is entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurship is very much high and very much alive in Ghana than what I have seen in South Africa. And, and, and coming back uh, to, to your question, Yes, um, like like what my brother Francis has said, I, I do not think uh, metrocracy and then that one can ever be, how do you call it, uh, eradicated. There in Ghana is also part of it. You see, you see, people are, are 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 recruited into into public service or into positions that they are not even qualified for. They do not have the competence, but they do not have the skills for it. But because somebody knows somebody, because my uncle is in the, is in the public service and uh, who can offer me the job, though I may not be qualified for it, I may not have the competence for it because he's my uncle or because it's my government in power and I'm giving the opportunity, I'm giving the opportunity, I'm giving the job. So yes, in Ghana, it's not only in South Africa, uh, 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 politics and public service is highly partisan in Ghana. You see, you, you see people getting position because of their affiliation to the party that they belong to. You see people getting appointments because of their loyalty to a particular party, but they do not look at the competence of the people that they come into in, into that into those positions, but they look more into loyalty, how loyal you are to your government or how loyal you have been to the party. That is what gives them position into the into the into the government. So I do not think this uh, partisan politics can ever be eradicated from our system in Africa. Now that will uh, people be given opportunity because uh, they are qualified for it now, but because of who they know and the party they they affiliated to. Absolutely. This seems to be a common denominator in most of the African countries. This is 101.9. Hi, FM. My name is Nimrat Mbere. Let's take a pause for a second. Don't walk away. We'll be back shortly. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Thank you for staying tuned as we gravitate towards the end of our show. We are joined by Francis Fisher, who is the Director at Growth Diagnostics at the University of the Northwest Business School, as well as Charles from Ghana, who is the President of African Entrepreneurship Conference. Before we took that short break, Charles and make very pointed points around the complexities of managing the economy at the local government level. And there's just so much that we could learn from each other based on the very rich conversation that we have shared thus far. I wanted to pose the question, since both of the colleagues are obviously experts in the African Free Trade Agreement that was ushered, this is in 2021, January, if my memory serves me well. This, in my mind, is an opportunity for local government provincial government and national government to leverage. How can we use this particular instrument to create economic growth via the local government sphere of influence? Let me start with Charles. What your take would be in terms of practical business opportunities that can be facilitated through the Africa Trade Agreement? Thank you, Nimrod. Uh, personally, to me, the most important development that has taken place in the continent is not the formation of the OAU, nor the formation of AU or the Agenda 2063. Personally, uh, the most important development that has taken place in the continent is the development, the coming on of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. Why? Because the implementation of this uh, African Continental Free Trade Agreement will be a huge step forward 
for the African continent. It shows that Africa is the most to the whole world that is emerging as the leader in the global agenda. This part uh, represents a lot of opportunities for the African countries. Some of these opportunities are a, a, a new market. It gives new market for, for, for African businesses, uh, businesses in Ghana to expand into the market in South Africa or to expand into the market uh, or all, all, all the so And then uh, if you should also look at it, uh, it's also bring about the free movement across the continent, making it easier for businesses to trade with their, uh, with their colleagues across the continent. And then... Uh, Last but not least, that I can also list that it's also going to create new jobs because when businesses begin to grow across the continent, new jobs are going to be created. People are going to be lifted out of poverty, and people are going their incomes are going to be uh, to, to be increased and all that. How can government take advantage of this particular part to improve upon the I call it the the livelihood of their people? Let's bring in Francois, based on the very interesting points that you've just read. Francois, what's your take um, based on, on the issue at hand, Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, the extent to which, first, is it known in our local government spheres, and what are those opportunities which you think, uh, if they are known, can be exploited for benefit of creating opportunities? Uh, thank you, Nimrod. Yes, there certainly are uh, a number of opportunities under the new Africa trade uh, uh, deal. Uh, I think the most important thing is, you know, we have to realize who is on board on the continent and, and who is not on board. There's different ways of looking at this. We can say that nearly all African countries do favor the new trade agreement on the continent, though countries have made varying levels of commitment to this new agreement. And, you know, to date, 54 of the 55 African countries have actually signed the agreement. The only country that still sits on the sidelines is, in fact, Eritrea in the far northeast. But only 39 of the 55 countries have actually ratified the agreement. The big dilemma that we, of course, sit in SACU with uh, one of our member states is, uh, remember, SACU are the five countries, South Africa, Botswana, Namibia, Eswatini, and Lesotho, making up SACU. Botswana have not ratified that agreement. And remember, South Africa can't really negotiate trade agreements uh, on, on, on its own because it's part of SARCO, the, the oldest South Africa, well, the oldest customs union in the world, in fact, older than the EU, was established in 1910. But so just to come to back to, to which countries have made what levels of commitment. So 44 countries have submitted their tariff liberalization proposals, and the agreement then came into force on the 1st of January this year. But remember that there are no real obligations at present, rather, on the signatory nations. The signatory countries are now involved in a round of tariff negotiations uh, you know, um, among each other. And African countries, uh, at least the ones outside of the existing customs unions on the continent, won't be trading with each other free of any import tariffs, for, uh, that is, for a considerable amount of time. So the aim of the first round of negotiations is to eliminate tariffs on 90% of tariff lines. But this does not mean it's on 90% of all existing trade because most countries in Africa don't trade in, in you know, in, in, in most of the, of the actual tariff lines. I think the CFTA is a wonderful step in the right direction, but I think we need to be very realistic in terms of our expectations as to when this will actually start to bear fruit. Of course, one of the largest challenges uh, under the new trade agreement is to say that if we are going to um, bring about an increase in intra-Africa trade, will it be because of the reduction in tariffs or will it be because of a reduction in non-tariff barriers? And perhaps okay. after the break, we can we can go into that. Absolutely. Lovely. Mm-hmm.
Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. It is 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrat. I'm joined by esteemed colleagues, Charles Anyomi from Ghana, who is the president of African Entrepreneurship Conference, as well as Francois Fischer, who is a director at Growth Diagnostic at the University of Northwest Business School. Um, we are obviously wrapping up. Perhaps maybe let me just go back to the point that uh, Francois was trying to, or was, was giving us his perspective on around the need to be realistic for the fact that we've got this after it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uhuru. Uh, there's a lot of other logistics, a lot of other ratification that needs to happen, a lot of cultural change that needs to happen. Uh, please, your final word, Francois. As I was saying, I'm very pleased that we are where we are with the African continental free trade um, area and the agreement and the process that has been unfolding. But it's it's going way too slow. Of course, we can argue that um, the pandemic has certainly derailed many of initiatives and, and because it has had such a huge impact on many African economies. In fact, today there are less African economies that are not receiving IMF assistance in some form or another than there are countries that are. Uh, that are. Africa is an dire state from a, from a balance of payments liquidity point of view, and therefore many have asked for assistance from the IMF. But just back to my point, if we look at what will really make a change to improve Africa trading more with itself, i.e. we are trading more with our neighbors, the things that will bring real change in terms of improving trade is are, are non-tariff barriers, and they are actually not the reduction in tariffs. There was a study done by the IMF, I think uh, uh, 2019, where they looked at the potential increase in regional Africa trade, you know, if non-tariff barriers were to be addressed versus tariff barriers. And non-tariff barriers, you know, uh, is like four or five times the impact versus what a reduction in tariffs would be. Now, the flip side of that, unfortunately, is to say that it is easier to reduce tariffs because it's just a number adjustment. Of course, there's a fiscal income component that falls away as well, but it's significantly more challenging to actually address the removal of non-tariff barriers because it relates to basically everything that encompasses trade except tariffs. Part of that is border process procedures, and that is really troublesome in Africa. So I want to conclude with the following quote from um, uh, Professor Milton Friedman, uh, back then from the University of Chicago in the U.S., and he actually won the Nobel Prize in economics in 1976, and he He said this about policies, and this goes for, uh, and this is relevant in the context of all the promises that have been made by the CFTA. He said, one of the great mistakes is to judge policies and programs by their intentions rather than their results. I think we need to judge the Continental Free Trade Agreement by its results. It's still early days. I do uh, accept that and not by its intention. We need to track the results and monitor the results and adjust accordingly to the results that we are seeing. And so far, we haven't seen great results and we haven't seen great progress. And I, I would like to see accelerated progress in terms of the countries that are making commitments and that are actually submitting tariff proposals to each other. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Francois, on that very uh, co- interesting concluding Mark, Charles, your final words in terms of how the Africa trade could cultivate the kind of development that you want to see in, in literally in a minute. I, as somebody who is coming from the marketplace, from the business community, I, I, I will end that this that uh, call to my to my fellow African uh, businessmen and women that we, with the coming on of the African Continental Free Agreement, it is not time for us to collaborate. The days of uh, doing things individually are gone. 
when we collaborate together as businesses, we can do bigger things on the continent. Let a business from South Africa, uh, let a business entrepreneur from South Africa be willing to be able to co- co- collaborate with, uh, with a, a business and a business partner from Ghana. Mm-hmm. Let an entrepreneur from Lesotho be willing to collaborate with a business man or woman from Kenya. This is the only way that we can be able to take a proper advantage of the African Continental Federal Agreement and to do bigger things on the continent. Thank you very much for that. Definitely, we'll do bigger things in the continent, provided we all collaborate. Business across the continent needs to heed the call and, and actively engage in ethical business collaboration, you know, ethical business collaboration um, uh, as, as a matter of fact. Gentlemen, it has been absolutely pleasure having you on the show. I have certainly enjoyed the kind of conversation that came through. Charles Onyemi from Ghana, the President of Africa Entrepreneurship Conference. Thank you very much. Francois Fisher, the Director of Growth Diagnosis at uh, University of Northwest Business School. I also thank you for your time. We certainly are better off. It has been absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank, thank you, you very much, Nimrod. We're unpacking the role of local government in fostering economic growth. Surely there are a lot of lessons that we have learned tonight, and I certainly think will make a difference in future.